Hello, I just want to pop in here quickly before we get started today to remind you if you're listening to this in a timely fashion that the Lead Well Summit, which is a free virtual wealth series hosted by Hannah Koenig and featuring all kinds, all kinds of amazing badass women who are leading financial experts specifically when it comes to helping women create wealth and financial freedom. That is happening in a few days. It's October 17th through the 21st, and I'm very proud to say that I have my own affiliate link. So if you want to join us for that, again, it is free. It starts on the 17th, and my link is leadwellsummit.com slash J-O-D-E. If you missed the interview that I did, I don't know how long ago, a month or so ago with Hannah, I definitely recommend checking that out. She's so down to earth and filled with wisdom when it comes to getting started on the path to creating financial freedom for yourself. That's why I have done several interviews this year on this theme because I know a lot of people are nervous about money this year and I want to do what I can. I want to do what I can to encourage you to stay present and stay engaged. And this is a really amazing opportunity to do that. I myself am going to be attending and going through it live. There's a little crew of us over on Discord that are going to be going through it live together. If you want to join us for that, you can just shoot me an email at joannadevoe at gmail.com and I'll get you hooked up over there or you can join the Facebook group. I'm not on Facebook but I know Hannah is really encouraging people to join the Facebook group so you get that community experience. They're probably going to end up doing some kind of Q&A situation and you can have access to at least Hannah if not some of the other panelists that way so you might want to check that out. But at any rate, if you choose to do this, I urge you to get a dedicated notebook or use your current journal and really take it seriously. Take yourself seriously and treat this like a real opportunity. These are women that are in demand and their offerings are high end. So the fact that this is free and that they're going to be sharing some of what they know with us for free, I think is such a gift. And I really urge you to take advantage of that. And again, to take yourself seriously, to take your financial life seriously and just show up fully, like set aside the time, bust out a notebook, take some notes and really receive this as an opportunity. Once again, my link is leadwellsummit.com slash J-O-D-E. And of course, there will be a link in the show notes. Hello, welcome to episode number 22 of the Joe DeVoe Show. I'm your host, Joanna DeVoe, but you can call me Joe, and I am here to uplift and support my fellow creatives, lovable weirdos, and makers of magic. And today I have another amazing woman to help me do that. Her name is Brianna Borton, and one of her many specialties is mentoring entrepreneurs who want to become spiritually rooted stewards of wealth. And yes, she's going to explain what that means, but I thought it was significant to mention that right up front here because women, money, This episode is not specifically for women, but it will be especially for women, if that makes sense. Brianna has so much 
to offer. I'm a little bit in love with her energy beyond anything she has to say, which is all good, by the way. I just love the feel of her energy. She's got this very calm, soothing presence that really settles the nerves and lays this really nice foundation for being able to hear what it is she has to say. I really heard her. She was saying something about what my purpose is in the world. She was asking me what I thought my purpose was. And I was saying that I think that it's to help people move through fear because that's something I've had to do in my life consistently that I continually have to do and always have something new to say about it because I'm constantly learning. And she actually flipped that on its head. And I'll save that for you to listen to later in the episode, but I hope you'll be able to really listen, to tune in to what Brianna is saying, because I believe there are some moments in this conversation that have the potential to create some subtle, maybe not so subtle, shifts inside, not in a big flashy way, but in terms of making insightful connections and maybe walking away with a meaningful sense of your own purpose which I know is a tall order, but just listen, just listen and and see how what she has to say, see how it lands in your heart. One of my favorite parts was toward the end of our conversation when we were talking about the insights she gleaned from doing volunteer work at her mother's hospice and what she learned about life from people who were in their final days of it, people who were dying. And the talk around safety specifically really hit home for me because I know so many of us spend an inordinate amount of time just trying to make ourselves feel safe in our own sense of being as we move about in the world. And that energy expenditure can be so costly. I know it can be for me. And if you have a lot of trauma in your past, it can be really frustrating the energy that you end up spending just trying to make yourself feel safe and we are privileged to live in a time we are blessed to live in a time when there are so many modalities for dealing with that and books and offerings and specialty doctors that offer amazing resources and I would say what Brianna has to say is more just a wake-up call. It's just interesting to get her perspective on the cost of that and what it is maybe that we're doing when we're trying to stay safe. So without giving away what it is she has to say, because I think it's just going to land better when you hear it in the context of this conversation, let's just hop into it. Okay, okay. So here she is, Brianna Borton. Hi, Brianna. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really excited and a little bit overwhelmed by all that you do. I'm like, where do we even begin here today? Maybe we can just start with what you do as a spiritual mentor and wellness entrepreneur, because you have such a story and you've accomplished a lot of things in your life. Maybe just a simple definition of what it is you do would be a good place to start. Oh, well, I love that you gave me the job of a simple definition of what I do. Um, (laughs) How about just the the definition for today? All right. Definition for today. I started a wellness brand about 20 years ago now. And so we have 
spas and bath and body products and pain relief products and books that we've written and courses that we do. And that's all through that brand. And then I created my own Brianna Borton brand where I help mentor people who are visionary leaders in their industry, who really want to become spiritually rooted stewards of wealth. And so I support people in both become spiritually rooted. Like I do a lot of energetic work with people and spiritual mentorship. And then I actually do quite a bit of mentorship on helping people grow thriving businesses that support them and their families and the world. Okay. So when you say we, you mean you and your husband? Sometimes. I mean, okay. (laughs) All right. You're, you're, you're more than married though. You're, you're partners as well in the wellness life. Yeah. So we run the dragon tree aspect of the business together. So that business I started, and then I ended up bringing him on when we got married. And so we, yeah, we have a very close working relationship in that aspect of my working life. Nice. It's nice to have that shared language for sure. Yeah. It's wonderful. We love it. And I think it's so interesting that you do energy work, but then within the description of what you just shared with us was the term spiritually rooted. Because when I think rooted, I think embodied, grounded. Mm -hmm. And I don't often see that happening with some people that do energy work. It seems to stay really out there, like in the realm of the intangible. So when you say spiritually rooted, what exactly do you mean? Yeah. So I actually feel like it's kind of what differentiates what I do as an energy worker versus like, I agree. A lot of times it's very ethereal, this very kind of intangible way that we can help support people and shift things. And I really work to help people do that and then bring it into their lives so that they actually experience that daily, like in living in a really rooted way that is connected to the earth, to other people, to themselves and to the divine. And so we work to do both because without both, I feel like we lose the real specialness of being human. Yeah. Do you feel that your history as a massage therapist has anything to do with your approach because that is so embodied and hands-on and yet you're still working with energy. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because now I work with, I have apprentices who I teach energy work to now as well. And I find that I reference massage and my massage training a lot it often just in the way that we're thinking, like when you approach somebody's body, like it's their body, it's their energy first, and they're in their sovereign and in control. And then we're there to assist, you know? So there's all of these ways in which I really do feel like it's woven a beautiful path for me to get here. Mm, Yeah. Am I wrong in thinking that that's primarily for you about Qigong. And I think I heard you talking about Taoist healing, some more like Eastern techniques. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I have certain trainings, right? We 
or I guess not everybody, I have specific trainings in Taoist healing techniques, in Qigong healing, in Reiki, and then in Ayurvedic energetic healing. So I have kind of a background and a lot of that is in more Eastern modalities. And then there's also things that I have just really like downloaded from the universe that sometimes I find little pieces of in other areas where I'm like, Oh, I like almost like confirmation. Like I remember learning that. And now I'm mm. seeing it like in a book or somebody says it, but a lot of it came through just in my own spiritual practices where I would get a download of like, Oh, this is how, you know, people's shapes are. And I can see people's shape energy and then see like, Oh, I see your shape, how it is. And I also see how it ideally like is like your constellation is as the most flow would arrive for you and what we can do to shift that. And that just came from like being open and receiving from the universe exactly how to do that. And now it's like a huge part of what I do. So I'm like, I have a lot of training and then a lot of connection, I would say at the same time. So I'm so curious about how you receive downloads and what you mean by shape. Are we talking about like sacred geometry? Are we talking about the shape of someone's aura? Oh my gosh. I love this question because it is like the hardest thing for me to answer, (laughs) but it's fun. It's fun. (laughs) It's so fun. It's actually really fun to try. My apprentices still ask me this all the time because we're like not quite at that place in our apprenticeship, but like, ah, it's really hard to explain, but first the easier thing is to explain like downloads. So this one, actually, when I got this system of energy work, which over time, there's probably been like three or four complete systems that have downloaded, but it happened when I was doing a breath work session, I was, I think probably 22, 21, 22, and I was doing breath work. And I was just doing the breath. I was just, it was was in a big group of people. It was being led by this amazing woman. We were in Southern California and it just all came in and I came in so much. I felt so overwhelmed. It was like all of a sudden, just knowing something Mm. on, not just like on a mind level, like I learned something, but like my whole body understood it. I felt like I could immediately grasp it. And it felt like too much. Actually, I went home and cried. I was like, no, it's too much. My husband (laughs) was like, you're going to be fine. And so, yeah, it's just that feeling of, I don't know, I kind of like when you watch the matrix and they just like download a whole like language into you, it felt like that. And so then after that, I then started to play with it and refine it and understand it more through actual practice. Um, But that's how that came in. And to describe shapes, it is very much like sacred geometry, but it isn't, it's not like everyone, it's not like, oh, you all have like the flower of life and that's how everyone looks, or you all have, you know, a specific like shape that you could recognize as a sacred geometry shape that we all know. It's that everyone actually has their own very unique sacred geometry shape that is it's kind of easier maybe to describe as like a constellation. Like you have a constellation of exactly 
as you are created. And then we have all these ways in which it gets distorted. And as it gets distorted, it could look like there's a dent in it. It could look like it's like compressed in the middle. It could look like there's like pieces missing. They're never actually missing, but it kind of looks like they're missing. So a lot of what I end up doing with people is working with them to reform, reconstruct their healthy, vital shape, which ends up looking like removing a lot of different blockages and gunks and other people's energy and reclaiming their fullest energy from all the places in which they have spent it or leaked it. And so that all of them is on board. And then we just zhush it in order to make everything actually as it's meant to be for that person. Mm. I keep thinking of the term bent out of shape. <laughs> if, oh you're gosh, bent, exactly. if you're bent out of shape, go see Brianna. What does that look <laughs> like? How do they participate or do they just receive? What does that feel like from somebody who might go to you for that kind of experience? Yeah, it's mostly a receiving. And then we do a lot of coaching and like mindset work around it because things come up and things shift. And then we also have to work with our minds, right? Because our minds can just undo it so quickly. And so we, there's a receiving and then an an interaction where there's a lot of support that's needed in order to sustain that most of the time. And so I would say that it is actually fairly rare for me to meet people who aren't bent out of shape in some way. (laughs) And so I would say it's almost like more common than not to meet people. And that's the situation, but most people don't know that that's what's going on for them. And so instead they're just experiencing like a glass ceiling, like they can't get past a certain like metric in their business, or they're having a hard time fully expressing themselves in their relationships, or they keep self-sabotaging themselves around a project. You know, all of those kinds of symptoms are symptoms of a bent out of shape shape. I'm so excited because I was really hoping symptoms would come up in this conversation, Brianna. I just listened to you on YouTube. You recently made a video on symptoms and I was just like vibrating because I, for the last 48 hours, have been obsessing on this idea of symptoms. Is it okay if I go here right now? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. I, this is something that I've been working with for years. I kind of frame the word responsibility as the ability to respond. And that's been so helpful for me. And I'm a person who ignores symptoms because I'm afraid. And the more familiar I've become with that in myself, the more I see it in other people. And I saw a bunch of news stories come out, boom, 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 right in a row about the dangers we are in environmentally. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is something we do on a collective level. We ignore symptoms. And then We wait until it's so bad. We're just on the precipice of disaster before we actually start paying attention. And I had this thought, like, if we could just do this work, each one on ourselves, we might have a chance of saving ourselves collectively from this impending disaster. I know that's 
really out there and large, but it's what I've been thinking about. Yeah. I mean, I think you're not the only one thinking about this. I, you know, the climate, like our climate crisis feels like it is on most people's hearts and minds, at least to some degree. And I agree. I think that the way in which we relate to symptoms and is either by ignoring them or thinking that the symptom is the problem. Mm. And I think that when we relate to symptoms as the problem, we band-aid the shit out of everything. <laughs> We're just like band-aid, band-aid, band-aid. You We're know, like, like bent out of shape, walking mummies. <laughs> right. I'm like, uh, the band-aid's not helping. You know, it's like, actually you're, there's internal bleeding happening mm. and we're bandaging things. And I feel like when we can let a symptom actually show us to the root of the problem and to start to actually address things on a more root level, I think that that is going to support us both, you know, individually and collectively. And as far as it comes to like our climate and our earth as well, because we can't, we aren't going to bandage our way out of this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't normally think that broadly about the world. I'm more actually self-centered and thinking like, how do I move beyond this? It was kind of unusual that I was thinking in those terms, but I can actually bring it around to your idea of becoming spiritually rooted stewards of wealth, because that, when I think of that, I think of being in service to the greater collective, being a steward of wealth that way and being spiritually rooted first mm -hmm. so that you can handle that kind of flow and responsibility. Yeah. And I think that that's why it's so important to me. Cause I feel like putting, I know that a lot of people are just like, just put, we just need more money in like the hands of women. And I feel like, well, spiritually rooted women. Yes. Like spiritually rooted people, when there's money in the hands of spiritually rooted people, the decisions that are made are different because there is both the broad perspective and the individual perspective that we're here to support each other. We're here to create a better world. And that when we can use our money in that way, that both aligns as it comes in and aligns as it goes out. Right? It's like, I know that the money that comes to me is coming in all ways that align with my soul and it all goes out in ways that align with my soul. And so being spiritually rooted first, I think is really important. And also I tend to work with like quite a few people, especially one-on-one -on -one, who have become very wealthy in their life, like very financially wealthy, but actually the peace around being spiritually rooted has escaped them. And so they're not actually feeling very satisfied in their life. And so working with those people to help them get spiritually rooted and, you know, kind of in reverse order, mm. then supports them to make different decisions with what they're doing with the resources that they have. It's such a timeless tale. You know, we have people on this end of the spectrum who focus so much on spirituality with the hope of maybe being wealthy one day. And then you have people that achieve wealth and then feel a kind of emptiness there. And then they work kind of backward. We're working toward the same center, it seems. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think that there's like a similar end goal if we're paying attention, right. Where we just, I mean, I think that our spirits at least really want us to both feel deeply in the experience of being human and awaken within that in a spiritual way, and also be in creativity and contribution out in the world. And I think if we're missing any of those pieces, we tend to feel, yeah, I guess just that something's missing. We feel the symptom. Yes. We feel the symptom of that. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So here's a very, very loud symptom. One of the loudest ones I've ever heard of. And that is forgive me for being so blunt, a broken neck at 18 years old, which you experienced. And if I understand correctly, was a catalyst of sorts to getting you on this path. Is that accurate? Oh, yes. A huge catalyst. And I often think of it as like the universe just harshly putting me right where I belong. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, that is, that's an adjustment. <laughs> that's yeah. like going in for a mega chiropractic adjustment. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, it was, I mean, I, I wouldn't have ever thought that like where I was headed was, you know, not positive. I was going to go to art school. I love art still. I felt like my trajectory was founded on a good basis, I guess. And yet when I broke my neck, there was no doubt. Well, not in the very moment. I shouldn't, I don't want to say that, but very quickly after there was no doubt in my mind that it was absolutely necessary for that to happen because like many teenagers, I was very stubborn, right? I was like, this is what I'm doing. And even if somebody had said, oh, you know what? I think you're actually meant to be here to do healing work for people to help awaken the consciousness of other people. I would have been like, no, I'm going to art school. You weirdo. That's definitely what I'm doing. (laughs) And so I felt like the universe really knew where I was needed and what my actual purpose on this planet is. And so it was just like, (laughs) yeah, harsh adjustment right where I belong. How long did the physical healing how long did that take place before you were like up and mobile and moving and walking a different path? Do you remember? Yeah. I mean, it took a little while for me to be up and mobile. So, I mean, about like, uh, I would say like two months, I was pretty immobile. And then I was able to get up and I had a very big like neck brace thing, um, that I wore and, I was able to get around a little bit, but I was actually still in quite a bit of pain, which is at that point was I had a session with a nurse who was also a massage therapist who my stepmom had set up for me. And so I went to go see her and she really couldn't touch me. I was in so much pain. And so she did energy work for me and we did three sessions. And after three sessions, I was pain-free, like really fine. And so you, you said energy work. I don't know why the computer cut out right on the word energy. So you did three energy work sessions and yes. that was it. And that was it. 
What? And then I was, I mean, I still wore my neck brace. My, my bone wasn't healed yet, but my, my pain was gone. And so at that point, this is like, I don't know about, I think probably four or five months into it, I was able to be up and around. And I, you know, I got a job at a coffee shop that I, I couldn't drive. So I had to like walk in the snow in Montana at five in the morning to the coffee shop, but in my neck brace, but people gave me very good tips. Cause they felt oh, very yeah. for me. They were like, Oh my gosh, you poor thing. <laughs> so, um, I, so I did that. And then, you know, it was eight months altogether that I was in my neck brace. And then once I got my neck brace off, I was really free to, you know, I could leave my doctor appointments. I could start being out in the world. And that's when I then decided to travel to Europe and I was a lot freer and my pain was gone. It was great. Oh my God. You have so much willpower and energy and drive. Eight months does not sound like a long time getting a job in walking in the snow to serve coffee with a neck brace and then getting the neck brace off and being like, and now I'm going to Europe. (laughs) Wow. You have a lot of spirit lady. (laughs) Thanks. And then you started, I definitely want to backtrack to Europe here, but then you also started your first spa at 23, which is just so impressive to me. What were you doing in Europe? So I had saved a bunch of money for college during high school. I worked to save money so I could go to college. And it was really that my parents just wanted me to save money. They said, you could use it for college or whatever you wanted, but they had encouraged me to do that. And so after I broke my neck, I was like, if I never go like my, the idea that I could just die at any point was very fresh for me. Mm -hmm. It was like, I am not guaranteed any amount of time. Like, and we really aren't. And I, I really feel like that stuck with me as one of the main gifts of that experience was just un, like the deep understanding that we are not guaranteed any length of life. And so this is it. This is like, this is it. This really is, you know, like that. <laughs> I really feel like, oh, this is, was so good for me to understand. And I realized that if I died without going to college, I was going to feel pretty okay about that. And I was like, but if I died without seeing Europe, I don't think I would feel okay about that. So I decided to buy a ticket to Europe and just go travel around. And I was planning on traveling around for the summer and coming back for, to go back to college at a different college at that point. But then when I was traveling around Europe, it's always about a boy. I often am chasing boys, or at least I was. I am now married and have been for a long time. Thank goodness, or who knows where I would be at this point. But I met a boy and then he brought me to this little tiny town in the Czech Republic. He was crazy. So that didn't last long. But then I met another boy and I ended up living with him and running a hostel with him in this really adorable town of Chesky Krumlov in the Czech Republic. And so I ended up actually staying in Europe for much, much longer than I expected to. And we traveled a bit, but we were mostly meeting people and really creating a gorgeous community at that hostel. Wow. So that sounds like that was really important to who that that was a piece of your path. Oh yeah. I mean, I learned actually so much there too, because really amazing people came to that hostel. I don't know. I mean, I think that's true about lots of hostels, but just 
the coolest people from all over the world and lots of energy healers. And so I actually learned energy healing from people from all different backgrounds and all different walks of life. And I don't know why they were, everyone was so attracted to this place that we were running, but people would then come and stay. So it wasn't like a hostel where people were in and out. People came and would stay for months, like sometimes like three, four, five months. And we really created such a beautiful community and there's a lot of shared learning there. So I really do feel like that set me even more, uh, even more on my path to where I am now. Absolutely. It sounds like community is such an important part of your purpose. Yeah, I really love bringing people together and also, you know, noting that it's not, I feel like a lot of times we're just like community, it's just going to be fun. And I'm like, community is really fun. And also it is something that takes intentional awareness and like a leaning in if we want it to work well. Yeah. To be able to sit in discomfort, I think as well. Yeah. 100%. Because we, we bring up each other's junk is what we do. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I have a funny question about community and something I maybe was picking up on when you were talking about breaking your neck and being in hos- in a hospital. I'm wondering about your parents. Do you feel like they held you in a way as a child that gave you the confidence to be the kind of person who leans in, who can recover fairly quickly from something like that and then go off to Europe? Or do you think this was entirely catalyzed by this dramatic experience? You know, I think a lot of times it's like, you know, you have like latent, latent potential probably Mm. laid by my parents that then was activated by that. But I just, my parents very much were my whole life or like, you can do whatever you want. You are capable. You're smart. You can just the, like the world is your oyster. You can do whatever you want. And I really feel like they, they emphasize that so much with me and my siblings that, and also that like, they didn't really do much for us. (laughs) That sounds so mean. They were great parents in like so many ways, but there was like, almost like, uh, some, what I would say, like, uh, meticulous intentional neglect so mm. that we really were leaned into doing things ourselves. Like I always felt like I could just do whatever I needed to do. And I had felt that way my whole life because I was always given the opportunity and not only the opportunity, but sometimes it was absolutely required of me to do it myself and to figure it out myself. And so I think that they held that framework for us so well that we were all, we've all become very capable in that way and like felt like we could just do whatever we wanted. Um, I think it's a really interesting thing too. One of the things that my parents did was like, we will love you no matter, you can do whatever you want to do and we'll love you no matter what you do. And that their love has always felt so unconditional that even when we do very amazing things, which me, my siblings also do really amazing things. I think my parents are like, huh, yeah, good job. And you're like, 
are you serious? Like I wanted <laughs> flowers or like balloons or you to notice. Like I remember when Peter and I, my husband and I wrote our book and got it published by Simon and Schuster. And I was like, I feel like you don't really care. And they were both like, well, does it make you happy? Like, <laughs> yes. And they're like, well, we're glad it makes you happy then. But I feel like it, I could have been like, you know, I just got a job as a truck driver and they would have been like, does that make you happy? And that would have been the same conversation, right? Mm. They're just, it's an interesting, like you can't win my love because my love is never gone. And so all of my ambition and desire has to come from within because there's no one to prove anything to. I think that's one of the greatest gifts that parents can give children because so many of us, we may have had very well-meaning parents who loved us, but as adults, we have to go in and like undo a lot of what has been done. That can take years. So I think setting your kids up to be self-sufficient and confident to know that they're loved and supported and safe within themselves. I just can't even think of a better gift that you could give your children besides making sure they're fed. Yeah. A hundred percent. It was, it is such a gift. And, you know, as I raise my own children, I realize how challenging it actually is to remove your own opinion, right. Of their path and allow them to really be like highly engaged with their own path. Mm -hmm. Something about the book that you wrote with Peter rituals of transformation and the well life. The subtitle is so interesting to me. It's how do you structure sweetness and space to create balance, happiness, and peace. It's a long one, but (laughs) I'm so curious about this because it's such an interesting combination, structure, sweetness, and space. And then I saw you talking about structure is life architecture. And I'm hearing you talk about being a parent and leading community. And I know that you've been doing the community thing for a very long time. So can we sit with that for a minute? The structure, the sweetness, the space, structure in particular, I'm interested in. Yeah. I mean, when we decided to write that book, we really wanted to bring forward kind of a framework that could be applied kind of anywhere you looked. So whether you're looking at your relationship or your health or your business or a conversation or, you know, your nighttime routine, right? Like no matter where you're looking, we wanted to create a framework that allows to bring balance in the most like authentic way and to bring forward these elements of structure, like our sacred structure, the thing that holds it all. So that things, so that anything can happen, right? So, you know, in our relationship, our structures, often our agreements in our relationship, maybe our vows in our relationship, if we're married, um, the ways in which we navigate life together and literally the structure of what we're doing. And then we want to bring in sweetness, which is the actual pleasure of being here alive and human in this circumstance. And so 
if we have structure, like what's holding, holding the framework. And then we have sweetness, which is the actual pleasure of being within the framework. And then the last piece is space. And I feel like space is sometimes um, the most challenging to totally understand, but on a very basic level, it's actually like having actual space so that things are slowed down and there's space to exist within the framework that's been created. But on a higher level, really looking at space is kind of that intangible element of creativity where like all creation comes from and all things go back to when they are complete. And this is really more like the ethereal space and to have that element within our, within everything that we look at is also really important that we have a connection that we can feel that experience of the ethereal realm within our human existence pointed at the thing that we're looking at. So are you talking about receiving downloads or creativity or surrender, letting go, all those things? All of those things definitely fall in the category of space for sure. Okay. Yeah. How do you do that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what the book is about. Um, (laughs) It's so easy. So easy. Just read the book. (laughs) I'm going to guess meditation is your answer. Yeah. I mean, if we want to create space in our life, I feel like meditation is the practice of consciously creating space. So it's like every day I have a job of learning space, right? And that is what we do in meditation. We go, we get into stillness. We connect with space. We allow things to slow down a bit. So that's the practice so that we remember it so that we are learning it, but that's not the only place to do it. It's like, we don't meditate just so that we have a meditation practice. We meditate so that the rest of our life becomes more mindful and more spacious so that they're between when somebody pulls in front of you and flips you off and you having your reaction, there's space where you're like, ah, who knows what's going on with them rather than going like, screw you. Right. Like the space is practiced in meditation and then performed in our life. And it really is so vital for us if we want things to align. So I feel like one of the most important reasons for space, besides just the feel good part of it is that it, it actually is how alignment happens. If there's not enough space, it's really hard to see if things are working in alignment with each other from one moment to the next, but if there's space, you can adjust within that space to make sure that things are in alignment. Oh my gosh. You can prevent looking like a fool being an asshole. (laughs) There's so much you can do. <laughs> the space between a trigger and reaction is massive if it allows you just a moment to make a conscious choice. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I mean, that's when we're, you know, when, when we're talking about like being triggered or having something negative happen, of course it's valuable there, but even as we're working towards the positive things that we want to have happen, like, does this align for me? Does this work for me? Does this actually feel like my desire, my conduit for being, and my actions all are in alignment with this? If yes, go forward. If no, realign, right? But so often we're just rushing and skimming the surface of life and we don't actually take the space to check in and see and to pay attention to our intuition and that inner guidance that allows us to be navigated really where we're meant to be. Mm. I feel like forgiveness ties into this and I know this conversation is not going to be public for a while, but right now, currently you are doing an event on forgiveness online. So to you, does this have something to do with space? Because I've seen you talk about forgiveness as being, I want to say tool, maybe that's not the right word, a path to freedom. And I love that connection of forgiveness and freedom. And that does feel like space to me. Yeah. I mean, I definitely would say it is connected to space because freedom is, I mean, it's a very spacious experience, right? It's also a very sweet experience and it Mm -hmm. also requires structure. So anything that we would ever look at has all of those things in it, if we allow them to be, and if they're in balance, but I do believe that forgiveness is one of the most important steps in getting ourselves really free, because otherwise we are binding ourselves in our own grievances and resentments in the prison of our own minds. Yeah. Your work has a lot of integrity and alignment. The different things that you talk about, they just keep circling around on each other and building a bigger story, which when I think back to the beginning of our conversation and being like, I don't know where to start. Maybe it doesn't matter where you start with Brianna, because (laughs) it's all going to lead back to these same ideas and keep reinforcing in a way that I think is really powerful. Mm, Thank you. Yeah. It feels like that. I mean, that's an experience I actually have internally of like, oh, right. And this also leads to this. And it all feels like it flows in this very sweet, energetic (laughs) feeling inside of me. So it makes sense that it like at any point at which you kind of drop in, you'll always kind of come full circle. Yeah. That kind of, I guess leads to something I wanted to ask you about as well. And it's a free offering on your website for an inner compass meditation, which seems like that might get people on the path to doing this kind of work. Mm -hmm. Maybe the subtitle of that, I'm not sure where this is, is something about connecting to your highest self. So when you're talking about alignment, are you talking about alignment with your highest self and how would you define your highest self? Yeah, I would say it's an alignment with your highest self. And I feel like that word could be interchangeable with other words, right? We might think of like our inner knowing, our highest self, our like our highest timeline, whatever that would be like the way in which there's this 
part of us that is outside of our ego and outside of our mind shatter. That is who we really are in essence. The like, I am of, I am right. I just am. And there's nothing more. That's, that's the complete story. Right. And so to align with that highest self is where we can get so much guidance. And that's what that inner compass meditation is all about. It's like, get in touch and start to pay attention to this aspect of being so that it can be what guides you all the time. And as you touch into that higher self, I lead people to, and most people find that there's a desire there and there's this kind of innate desire that our unique higher self has that we often have suppressed. Like most people have suppressed to some degree. And when we can access that inner desire and we can actually let it start catching and we can then build a really good conduit for bringing that out, like a that this is kind of like the structural part, right? That it has integrity, that we have the way of bringing that into the world. So this comes to our learning, our understanding, making sure that we are a clear channel for this desire to move through, and then it moves into action, right? And so it's making sure that our actions and that whole system are all in tune with the same song, if you will. Hmm. So what kind of desire would that be? An earthly desire, like for what your soul came here to do, like a purposeful thing? Is it more a feeling thing, like to create this feeling in the world? Can it be something very specific? You are yeah. meant to be the next, I don't know, writer of the such and such series. <laughs> like, uh, How does that show up for people? I think for most people, it arrives in a very purposeful way. Like I have a purpose here on this planet. And I think that sometimes we can kind of narrow it down to, you know, maybe like you are meant to be the next writer on whatever, right? right. Like, but that isn't it. That's just a conduit for it. So it could be a conduit for your purpose for Mm. sure to be a writer in that, but is that your purpose? Well, no, because our purpose has to be, it is essentially something that we could do kind of no matter our physical capacity, right? So maybe we wouldn't have always have the physical capacity to write for a show, let's say. And then if we have tied our purpose to that, when we are no longer capable of doing that, we can maybe feel like, oh, well, now I don't have a purpose. And then people retire and feel depressed and despondent. But our real purpose is something that can kind of be applied anywhere and everywhere, right? So my purpose in life is to awaken people. And I know this, I've known it for like two decades. So it's something that feels like at home for me to be with, but it's not like, only when I'm talking to my clients, it's like, no, it's when I am checking out at the grocery store or when I'm being with my children or when I'm participating in a PTA meeting, right? Like all of the places that's still my purpose and how it comes through is going to look different depending on the circumstance. This makes sense. I used to think my purpose was 
to be found once I moved through fear. And then I started thinking my purpose is moving through fear because that is what I tend to help other people do no matter what I'm doing. And that was a funny shift for me to be like, wow, there's just always more layers of fear. (laughs) I'm like always working through this and always talking about it through whatever kind of work I'm doing. So does that feel like what you're talking about more? Yeah. I would say if I was coaching you, I'd probably ask like, if we were moving out of fear, what are we moving toward? Freedom. Yeah. So I guess if I were to support you in that, I would wonder if maybe your purpose is actually to activate more freedom in the world. Mm, That's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. You're good. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) So you think there are unique purposes. It's not the kind of idea where everybody has the same purpose and that is love kind of thing. Cause I hear that come up sometimes too. Yeah. I mean, I think that most people's purposes are a form of love. It's like love and action in some way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that both are true, right? It's like, yeah, I do think that our whole, like the general overarching purpose is to be in an experience and share love. And I think we uniquely have a way in which we bring that through in different flavors and in different constellations. You have a unique experience with that too, in terms of having a background of, hospice work. I think your mom was a hospice worker, but you also were at least around that some, is that right? Yeah. So actually my mom started a hospice when I was, she was a hospice nurse for a long time, then started a hospice when I was 17 and ended up having two hospices. Whoa. That's right before your injury. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And so I was able to volunteer and really be supportive in those ways. I, I never worked for her for pay, but I did get to do lots of volunteer work. And my sister actually now owns a hospice as well. My mom has since sold her hospices and my sister has started a hospice. So my family life and my, like a lot of my life gets to be around talking about death and dying and the process and and also being with people in that process and, and seeing, right? Like, what is it that is meaningful for the majority of people at the end of their life? And I feel like it really shapes who you are when you get to have that experience. Yeah. Does it lend itself to understanding the idea of purpose and all the things that you're talking about here today, freedom, community, all of that is that hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, just to hear the, the things people both are so happy they did, you know, like take risks, try things out, make changes, be with their family, say no to things they didn't want to do. Like these are the things that at the end of your life, you're like, yeah, good job me. And also to hear what people regretted. And that a lot of that is, you know, not making enough connections with their community or their family, or not actually going all in on what their soul's purpose was, you know, it's like, well, I just kind of just kept chugging along with the thing I was doing, even though I really kind of knew that I wanted to do this other thing. 
Mm -hmm. Right. But I didn't do it. I wouldn't take the risk. I wouldn't like put myself out there because I didn't want to jeopardize the safety and security. I felt like I had in my job or with that partner or whatever. And there's so like looking back on your life, you can just see how people look back and they're like, that was silly. But when we're in it, we're like, no, very serious and important that I have safety and security above all else. But when you look back at it at the end of your life, almost no one is like, oh, thank goodness. I have so much safety and security. They're like, oh, thank goodness. I spent time with my community and I did the things that my heart told me to do and that I loved fully. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of that idea of parents creating that sense of inner safety in their children to where you feel safe within yourself so you can go out in the world and do those things and not spend so much time trying to make yourself feel safe because you're afraid. Yeah. I mean that to me, it's an interesting thing because I think that there's a lot of work in the world, like a lot of, especially, you know, with coaches and people helping people just get safe, feel safe. Right. And I think that there is, I mean, in a, like in a community or in a, in a group, I always want to make sure everyone feels safe in like certain ways. And also I feel like it is almost a mirage. We are actually not safe. So in these basic ways that people are like aiming for so much, like you're aiming to be safe in a way that is so fleeting and it is actually, there's no way to get safe in that way because I feel like the fundamental thing underneath that is I don't want to die. Yes. And I feel like you're going to die. Yes. So just stop it. Stop with the, like, everything I do is to prevent death. When I'm like, you're just going to die. Like, yes, keep yourself healthy and don't run in front of cars. But so much of what runs us is this trying to run away from death. And I feel like if instead of running away from death, we were running toward life, we would all be much more satisfied. It's so exciting. And it's so interesting that you had that foundation as a teenager, the brush with death, that you had both with the hospice and the car accident in which you had that injury. And then just looking at your story, you ran to life and you keep running to life and you're helping other people do that as well. How can people find you, especially people that aren't looking at their device right now? Is there a quick URL that you can lead them to? Yeah. I mean, if you can remember my name, you can kind of find me anywhere because <laughs> okay, I'm the perfect. only person with my name, which is so nice. Uh, so you can find me at briannaborton.com. That's B-O-R-T-E-N. Or if you want to connect on Instagram, you can also find me there at Brianna Borton as well. How do people work with you? What kind of things do you do with them? Oh, so many fun things. I'm so, I like love my work so much. Um, So I get to work with some people one-on-one and we do deep mentorship. These are usually people that have already achieved a high degree of wealth and are really wanting to get spiritually rooted or they're people who really want to become stewards of wealth and are on a path to do so and want to do that and also stay or get spiritually rooted along the way. So that's how I work with people one-on-one the most. I also have 
really beautiful groups that I lead. I have a membership called love rising where we do energy work and we do like spiritual downloads. And we also have integration, which is basically intuitive group coaching. So that is a membership that I have also comes with a really amazing program on spiritual awakening. And then I do smaller groups called love awaken circle, where I support people in really activating their own potential and getting themselves free enough so that they can actually be all the way on that path. And then I also have a mastermind where I actually support spiritual leaders and visionaries, people who are entrepreneurs that have at least a soulful base for their business to grow and expand their businesses. And then I just do tons of different programs. So I'm like, I do so many things, but it's all in the service of just how peaceful and free and awakened and in love can we become. Man, I wrote something down that you said that I wanted to put in my personal journey and it's going ding, ding, ding in my brain right now because I'm like, you sound so calm and easeful and you're describing a life as a mom and a wife. I think you still own multiple spas. You're running this business. You have a couple of books out. Holy cow. You're so calm and peaceful and you have such a busy life. And the thing that I wrote down is I may have just paraphrased it, but it was an experience of ease, a state of mental and physical relaxation that is with us, even when we are working hard. It seems like you really embody that. Yeah. Thanks. I do. It feels like somebody said this, they said to me the other day, you feel so chill. And I was like, yeah, I am like super chill on the inside. And then on the outside, I have a lot of things I do, right? It's like, we also have a a farmette and we have a retreat space that we rent out and I run retreats. Like the number of things that we do is so expansive. And yet I do feel like I feel very calm inside. And I think that that actually supports being able to do all those things. And so I think that often we think like, oh, we need to slow our, we need to slow down what we create. And I think, well, maybe, but I think the main thing we need to do is slow down the internal experience so that we can actually be present with what we create. This is a perfect note to end on. Very inspiring. Can you leave us with one tip for just dipping our toe in the water of that kind of ease? How could we get started with that? I think being devoted. If Mm. we can become really devoted to this way of being, like devoted with our time, with our, the way that we invest in coaching or programming, the way that we actually aim ourselves toward this. If we get devoted to it, it happens may not happen immediately, but it's one of those things that it's like you put one foot in front of the other, and then you look back and you've like, everything has changed. And so I really trust the process. And if people, you know, if that's something that people really want, I encourage you to come be part of my world in whatever way that is so that I can support you in creating that. Lovely. Thank you so much. This was really wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And thanks for everyone for listening. 
Yes, I agree with myself. The vibe. The vibe. Brianna has such a vibe. It's so groovy. She has such a groovy energy. I just loved that conversation. And I'm definitely going to be thinking about that for a while. Let me remind you as well, if you're listening to this in a timely fashion, that the Leadwell Summit is in a couple of days here, October 17th through the 21st. If you want to join us for that, it's completely free. You can use my link. I'm so proud to have a link. It is leadwellsummit.com slash J-O-D-E. There will be links to that in the show notes, links to Brianna, and... I'll be back here soon with another episode for you. I hope all is well in your world. Until we meet again, always remember, life is change, change is magic, magic is life, and the journey is the creation. Much love to you. Peace.